Would you open your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 16? And, uh, and let's pray. Our Father, we thank you uh, for this night uh, that you've given to us. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for your word and for the privilege that we have uh, to spend uh, some time considering it uh, this evening. Uh, Lord, I do ask that the Holy Spirit uh, would do uh, his work. Please grant to us that the gift of illumination. And uh, Lord, uh, may, may the message that you have for us help us uh, in our lives, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's an area of the Christian life that at times can cause us frustration and confusion, and that is trying to understand or ascertain what the Lord is doing in our lives or what he wants us to do. And we refer to this as seeking God's will or being sensitive to or accepting of his guidance. And that this can manifest itself in many different ways. There's a decision to be made and we want to know what the Lord would have us to do in that situation. Or things have unfolded in a certain way and we're trying to comprehend why did the Lord do it like this? Uh, you know, what is he trying to accomplish through this situation? And often, times like this, it can often make very little sense to us. And have you ever experienced that in your life? Now, a text before us, which is often referred to as the Macedonian call, has much to teach us about how the Lord guides and leads in the life of his people. We get a glimpse into how the Lord personally and providentially led the Apostle Paul to the next stage of the spread of the gospel. That's the big idea of this text. And from this, I'd like to draw out seven things that we can learn about the Lord's leading and guiding in our lives as his people. And the first is this. God can say no to good intentions and ideas. And it's almost shocking that God said no to Paul preaching. Have you ever thought about that? Paul wanted to preach and God said no. Okay, we know from the Bible that preaching is good. It's God's ordained means. He has ordained the foolishness of preaching as one of the primary means of communicating his word. We know that Paul was called to preach by God. And yet not once, but twice in this text, Paul desired to preach, and yet God said, no, not here. We see in verse 6 that after conducting his checkups of the churches, like a doctor, he wanted to ensure they were healthy and that there was no obvious signs of spiritual disease. And having completed these checkups, he desired to preach in Asia. When we read of Asia, this is not speaking of the modern continent, as you'll see on the map, but rather Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And it seems places like Ephesus and Colossae were on the apostles' radar. And yet the Lord said, no. Paul, I don't want you to go there. So Paul then decided, well, hey, I will go and minister in Bithynia. That too you'll see on the map. Surely that's a good idea. And again, the Lord said, no. 
It's quite remarkable that the Lord would say no to the preaching of the gospel. There was certainly nothing wrong with Paul's intentions. His desire was noble. It was right. It wasn't as though there was something wrong, sinful or selfish in what he wanted to do. And yet the Lord said no. And what this teaches us is that God can and does deny even good intentions and intentions and desires as he leads and guides and hence when God says no or when things don't work out as we envision understand that it doesn't necessarily mean that we had bad intentions it doesn't mean that it was sinful it doesn't even mean that we had it all wrong Paul's desire was in harmony with the heart of the Lord, and yet he was told no. Okay, some practical examples. One could desire strongly to get married, and yet it's not happening. That doesn't mean the desire is wrong. One could aspire to preach or, or be a missionary, and yet things just aren't unfolding. That doesn't mean you're wrong. You may aspire to have children, and yet there's difficulties. You may want a particular job, but it doesn't happen. Whatever it may be, just because God says no doesn't always guarantee that your desire is wrong. Every time that God says no, it doesn't mean that there's some sin or dodgy motivation or some other malicious thing at play. And this is important, especially if you are prone to beat yourself up, which a lot of us are. It doesn't always mean you had it completely wrong when God says no. Because sometimes in his wisdom he says no to even good intentions and desires. The second thing that we learn is that God's immediate intentions can often seem to make no sense. Although the text uh, is silent, and we do need to use some sanctified imagination... It's not too much of a stretch to imagine some confusion amongst Paul and the missionary team, is it? Why would the Lord hinder us from sharing the gospel? I'm sure they asked that question. Wouldn't it be a great thing for the fire of the gospel to spread through Ephesus and Colossae? What what about Bithynia? You can imagine the questions being asked to the Lord in prayer. You know, what's going on? I don't understand. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight. We have the complete story recorded before us. But Paul and his team didn't have that luxury, and hence, it must have confused them and made very little sense. And often, this is how God can work in our lives. His leading and his guiding can sometimes make no sense. And we can be tempted to question. We can be tempted to doubt and think, really, Lord, why would you do that? Okay, well, what are you doing This game plan makes no sense at all. That's like when a coach suggests a strategy or a tactic and it seems highly unlikely to work. And you think, really? Coach, that's the plan? Are you sure that's the way to go? And most honest Christians would testify to this in their lives at some points. That there are things that seem to make no sense. Sometimes in hindsight, we can look back and think, oh, that's what God was doing. But other times we won't even get that perspective. And hence we need to remember what the prophet Isaiah wrote of old. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. 
Even when it makes no sense in the moment, we need to trust God. Believing that our God is all-wise and he knows what he is doing and that he has the right to do as he pleases in our lives. Like in this text, there will be times when God's immediate intention makes very little sense to us. But we need to trust him. The third thing we learn is that God works through both open and closed doors. The metaphor of a door is one that's often used in Christian circles to explain the, the workings of God in our lives. And basically what we mean is this. An opportunity taken away or removed is referred to as a closed door. Whereas an open door is an opportunity that we are able to take. And what's clear from the text is that God works through closed doors. And him working in this way is no less his providential hand than when open doors are presented. And not once but twice the Holy Spirit hinders Paul's plans. Look at verse 6. We're told they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. This speaks of being restrained, prevented, or hindered. In verse 7, we're told the Spirit suffered them not, meaning he didn't permit them. It's like a massive road block was put there and they couldn't get past it. They went one direction, that was blocked. So they turned, they went another way, and that was blocked too. And it got to a point where there was only one direction they could go, and that was toward Troas. The Spirit directed them in a negative way by removing opportunities and possibilities. How the Holy Spirit did this, we cannot be certain. It could have been through giving the missionaries a strong inner impression that we shouldn't go that way. It could have been the removal of inner peace, that they all felt uneasy about going a certain direction. Could have been tough outward circumstances like illness. That's what a lot of commentators favor. Could have been Jewish opposition. Could have been a legal ban. You know, maybe it was a COVID issue. Okay, you can't go this way. A COVID ban. Okay, or it could have been through the ministry of a Christian prophet, perhaps Silas, who was with them at this point. Okay, we aren't sure what this entailed, but what this illustrates is the negative guidance of the Lord. Often when we have an opportunity, what we call an open door, we we view that as from the Lord. But what we need to grasp is that closed doors, removed opportunities, are also from the Lord. The text teaches us that negative guidance is still true guidance. And often this will be how the Lord works in our lives. We won't get the job. You won't get into the course. You won't be able to sell your house, whatever it may be. But understand, this is still the Lord leading. It's just in a different way to what you expected. And yet, usually, we don't like these closed doors, do we? We find them frustrating. Things aren't working out how I want it. When there seems to be a path that you think, hey, this is definitely from the Lord, you start walking down the path, and then, you know, there's a massive blockage, and you can't get past you find out that the door that you thought was from the lord is slammed shut it's locked and it's bolted that can be frustrating but understand this type of guidance is just as much from the lord as an open door in your life 
Okay, negative guidance is nevertheless true guidance. And often the Holy Spirit will lead through providential hindrances. The fourth thing we learn is that God's hindrances are sometimes yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. You know, in our life, when we experience this negative guidance that I've alluded to, we don't get the job, the relationship doesn't work out, the holiday gets cancelled, you, you don't get into the course, we've been hindered in some way. This does not always mean that God is saying no forever. It could be him saying yes, but not yet. Because it's interesting that Paul desired to go and preach in Asia. And yet the Lord said no at this point. But really the Lord's response was, Paul, the time will come for you to go there, but not yet. Because we do know that he got to minister in Asia. We read of Paul's ministry in Ephesus in Acts 19. And obviously Paul wrote an epistle to that church as he did to the church at Colossae. That's also in that region. Okay, the seven churches that we read about in Revelation, most of them were in this area. Furthermore, if you were to read the first verse of Peter's first epistle, it mentions Bithynia. So it's evident that the gospel did spread in these areas. Paul got to minister in a lot of these places. It just came later than he initially expected. And this reminds us that some providential hindrances are not always forever. Okay, some could be, but not all. And we need a category for God's guidance in our life where he has us to wait. Okay, often we don't like that. We, li we live in an instant society. I want everything and I want it right now, but that's not how God works. And he may well want us in a particular job or with a certain person or in a specific ministry, but the timing is not yet right. Okay, God cares about timing. And it could well be that either you are not ready or there's something not quite prepared, which necessitates a divine delay. Okay, when God says no, it may not mean forever. It could mean not yet. The fifth thing we learn is that God's way is better. We read in verse 8 that Paul ended up in Troas. Okay, this is on the coast, as you'll see on your map. And this was at least his third choice, having been blocked by the Holy Spirit. And at this point, it seems that Paul has very little idea what's going on. But in verse 9, it starts to shed some light on the reasons behind the providential hindrances that they had faced. Can we read that? It was night and Paul had a vision. This is a trance-like event where a person receives communication from the Lord. Oh, it's interesting that the Greek word translated vision occurs 12 times in the New Testament. 11 of those occurrences is in the book of Acts, and the other one occurrence is in the book of Matthew. It's very instructive that we don't find visions throughout the epistles. Okay? The epistles are written to the church. And hence, you would assume that if visions were intended to be a continuing reality in the life of the Christian, it would be written about in the epistles, and yet it's not. 
So although God could still give a vision if he chose to, it's not the standard practice for today. Why? Well, we have the Bible. Okay, we have the completed scriptures. The Bible is God's revelation to us. That's how he speaks to us. Okay, and hence we need to be careful when we're reading the book of Acts. We need to understand that this is a transition period. And hence not everything that happens in Acts is normative or prescriptive in the Christian life. You know, at Bible college, we were taught you never build a doctrine just from Acts. And that's due to its transitory nature. And hence, visions are not how we are led or guided by the Lord today. Now, the vision that Paul had, we, we read, was a man from Macedonia. If you look at your map, Macedonia is the other side of the ocean. And this man was pleading. That's what the word prayed in this context means. He was appealing to Paul, pleading that Paul would come over to Macedonia. Now, there's much debate about who this man was. Some think it was Luke. Others say it was Alexander the Great. Both are probably unlikely. You know, the identity of the individual is not the concern of the text. The request is the focus, and he implores Paul to come over and help. The word help is interesting. It means to bring aid or relief. It's like a war-torn country pleading for aid. Okay, we've seen the country of Ukraine do this, pleading for assistance and materials to help them in their situation. And this is what this man is asking for. He's asking for aid, but understand the aid that Paul could bring it's not something physical, but, but something far greater, the gospel. Okay, the gospel is the greatest aid. It's the relief that people need more than anything, because it's the gospel that brings relief from sin. Okay, we need to understand that we are all sinners by birth and choice. Okay, we need to understand that we were made by God, and yet we rebelled against him. You are guilty before God, deserving of physical death, spiritual death, and eternal death. As a natural man, one will be separated from God for all eternity in hell. That's the message of the Bible. And understand, that's the just and fair penalty for sin. And God must punish sin because he's holy. He's just. He can't just brush it aside, put, put it under the rug, turn a blind eye. But in his infinite grace, he has provided a way to be saved from sin and the penalty that we all deserve. And that was by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to this world. My friend, Jesus is God. He, he took upon himself human flesh, becoming fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life. Not, not once did he sin. And he went to the cross. He went to the cross in our places, our substitute. He took our sin upon himself. And get this, he was punished. He was punished for our sin despite never sinning. God the Father poured out his wrath on Jesus. And Jesus ultimately gave up his life on the cross. But he arose again on the third day. And that's important because that's the guarantee that God accepted the sacrifice that Jesus offered. That's why the resurrection matters. 
And now all mankind can be saved from sin. Saved from hell and made right with God. How? Well, by repenting of their sin. That's acknowledging their sin and turning from it. Turning from your sin. Turning to Jesus. And believing that Jesus Christ is God. And that he died in your place. And that his death and resurrection is sufficient alone to save you. That's the message of the gospel. That's what we have recorded in the Bible. And that's the only way to receive the relief that mankind so desperately crave and need. The gospel is aid from God. But you need to receive it. And the sharing of the gospel... The great relief and remedy for the sin-sick human soul is the greatest help that we as Christians can bring to anybody. And this is what this vision is all about for Paul. It was a call to come and bring gospel help to Europe. And this call reveals the next step in the Lord's missionary endeavor. And this is what I want you to notice. How much greater this is compared to what Paul had initially planned. Okay, Paul had planned to reach a couple of cities. What was the Lord's plan? Paul, I'm going to give you a whole continent. The Lord wanted the gospel to be unleashed throughout Europe. So we see that God's plan is far better, is far greater than Paul's. That The Lord gave him a whole continent. And furthermore, if you look at verse 10, the word we is used. I just think, okay, cool, so what? Well, understand this is a first person plural, which means it includes the author. Who was the author of Acts? Well, it was Luke. So the Lord also provided Paul with a doctor at this time. So this shows that the Lord's way was better. And we see this throughout history. David Livingston wanted to go to China. God sent him to Africa. William Carey wanted to go to Polynesia, but God sent him to India. Adoniram Judson went to India, but God guided him to Burma. This is often how the Lord works in small things and great things. And my friend, understand that God's ways and thoughts, they're often very different to ours, but they are better. Okay, his ways will accomplish his plans and purposes. Now we need to remember that God is more concerned about building his kingdom than our little kingdom. And that's where we often clash. Because we become so interested in our little kingdom and not his kingdom. Okay, and he will work things together to accomplish his purposes. Okay, but in our life, despite what we often think, God's ways are better than ours. He knows what he's doing. And what needs to unfold or not unfold for his plans to come to pass. And we need to rest and trust in his goodness and wisdom for his ways are better than ours. The sixth thing that we learn is that the involvement of others is necessary in determining God's leading. Now, when it comes to determining God's guidance in our lives, it's wise to seek the input of others. Those who know and love you, especially if they're willing to tell you what you don't want to hear. 
Okay, such people are a precious commodity. And the opinions, particularly of those who are spiritually in tune with the Lord, are invaluable. Okay, it's unwise to not seek the counsel of those that the Lord has placed in your life. And get this, even the Apostle Paul sought the counsel of others in this situation. Notice in verse 10, it says, After he, okay, that is singular, speaking of Paul, saw the vision, immediately we endeavored to go, that's plural, because they had assuredly gathered. Okay, now this is a very interesting term. Elsewhere, it's translated knit together. And it's also translated as proving. Nothea, one Greek scholar, offers this definition. To cause a person to unite with one in a conclusion or come to the same opinion. So Paul and Luke, along with the missionary team, they considered the vision that had transpired. Paul explained it. They then considered the providential hindrances that they had endured. And when this was knit together, they all came to the conclusion that the Lord was leading them to preach the gospel in Europe. Okay, this was the group's assessments of the situation. Okay, and the point that I want to make is that Paul, okay, the great apostle, sought the advice of other spiritual people in his life. Okay, he's the great apostle. Surely of all people, he could have interpreted the Lord's leading correctly, and yet he still sought the counsel of others. And that's very practical for us. We need to involve others when we're seeking to determine the Lord's guidance in our lives. And understand that this is not trying to find people who will simply confirm what we want to hear. Okay, this is what often happens under the banner of seeking counsel. Okay, someone will ask absolutely everybody until they find someone who confirms what they've already decided to do. Okay, that, that's not seeking counsel. If you've already made up your mind, don't go and seek others as something to hide behind or to appease your conscience if it doesn't work. Okay, that's not seeking counsel. But rather, seeking counsel is genuinely desiring the advice of others. Okay, we're willing to listen, even if it's not what you want to hear. In fact, if you have people in your life who are spiritually mature and are willing to tell you hard things, they are willing to tell you to not do that which you so desperately want to do and they have good reasons, my friend, that's a tremendous gift that you should cherish, particularly if you were young. Okay, and the input of others is so vital because we are often not objective when it comes to our own circumstances. We can be very subjective and we can twist things to favor what we want to do. We can become very blinded to obvious red flags and that's certainly the case in relationships. So it's vital that we listen to others. If you have written an essay or, or some paper and you have proofread it, you have gone over it and over it and over it, you think it's perfect, then you get someone else to proofread it, you get it back and there's red lines everywhere. Okay? The fresh eyes have picked up lots of mistakes. Proofreading is important and that's why seeking the counsel of others is important in our life. Okay? They can pick up things both positive and negative that we may not see ourselves. 
So we learn from the example of Paul that having others involved is vital in determining the Lord's leading. Of course, we need to involve the right people, godly, wise, spiritual counsel, and be willing to listen. Proverbs 11:14 tells us, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You know, may we take heed to this wise counsel to seek wise counsel when determining the Lord's leading in our lives. The seventh thing that we see, and the final thing, is the required response of God's leading and guiding. Okay, what we see throughout our text is a spirit of submission and obedience. And this is true both of the providential hindrances, okay, the, the closed doors and also the open door. There is a steadfast trust in the leading and guiding of the Lord. Okay, when they were hindered, they weren't bitter, they weren't complaining, but they responded and they went the different way. Sure, they didn't understand, but they didn't need to because they knew their God and were willing to submit themselves to his plans, to his purposes, even if they didn't understand them. Okay, so that's with the negative guidance. And then notice the reaction to what we could call the positive guidance, the open door. In verse 10, having received the vision, the group has assessed the situation. What do they do? Well, immediately. That's what we're told. Immediately. Straight away. No questions asked. There wasn't a two-week delay. There wasn't, hey, we'll think about this for a month. But, but immediately, they packed their bags, responded to the Lord's leading, and they were off to Macedonia. And that, my friend, is the correct response to the Lord's leading in your life, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. We're called to submit. We're called to obey, not to kick against it, not to ignore it, not, not to, you know, just push ahead anyway. I'm just going to ignore that. Okay, we're not just to do our own thing anyway, but humbly submit ourselves to what the Lord is doing, even if it makes no sense, and even when it doesn't look favorable and such a response submission and obedience it ought not to surprise us because is that not the example that our lord and savior jesus christ set for us he's the ultimate example of this isn't he he humbled himself in coming to this earth and he did the will of his father even though that meant going to the cross. Even though that meant being crushed by the load of sin. Okay, remember, Jesus is perfect. We can't begin to imagine what he went through as he bore the sin of mankind. He gave his life as a sacrifice for others. And as Jesus was pondering all of this in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's in absolute agony. What does he say? Not my will, but thine be done. That's the attitude. And like in every area of life, we, we need to be more like Jesus. That's to be our disposition when it comes to the Lord's guidance, whether it's positive or whether it's negative. Willing and humble acceptance. And may the Lord, by his grace, help us to respond in this way, okay, the, the, the Jesus way, to the leading and guiding of the Lord in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. 
uh, for your word and thank you for the, the very practical things that this uh, portion of scripture has to teach us uh, about uh, your leading and guiding uh, in our lives. Uh, Lord, may these seven things you know, help us um, as we face you know, very practical decisions, real situations in our life. And uh, Lord, just like in, in every way, please help us to be uh, more and more like Jesus uh, in, in this realm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite